We're in the book of Ephesians, and we're asking this question, who do we think we are? And we're answering that throughout the book of Ephesians. And today, I'm going to continue in that theme and talking about that. The first week, I spoke on Ephesians 1 through 14, and we talked about how God has chosen us as children, how we're saints. And what that means is this. A lot of times when people hear that teaching, they think, man, well, I'm chosen, but this person's not chosen. This scripture is not about who's not chosen. It's about God choosing Israel to be the light to be sitting on a hill so that the other nations can become a part of God's children. In the same way, we we have been called, we have been chosen for the purpose of reaching out to the world and bringing people into that community, that they would be chosen as well, that they would be a part of God's God's kingdom. And we we talked about that, that we're saints, that we're children the first week. Um, But again, when we talk about who do we think we are, one of the things that uh, is important about that is that it informs how we live, okay? It, 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 what we believe about ourselves will work itself out in how we live life, okay? And here's, here's, the, here, here's what I'm teaching about today, is that in order to know who we are, we first have to know who God is, okay? Because who we believe God is really informs and determines who we think we are, which determines how we live life. Does that make sense? Let me see some heads nod, okay? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to detour. I want to tell you this. The Lord put this on my heart. He said, last week when Melissa was leading, I think she read, Be still and know that I am God. And I felt like the Lord said, You know, Antley, as great of a preacher as you are, I heard these words straight from the Spirit. He said, As great of a teacher as you are, if people don't be still and know that I am God, then it will wash over them and never take root in their heart. Okay, and so I'm going to proclaim the truth of God's word through the Bible, right? That we believe is God's word that teaches us how to live. It's a universal language for everyone who's a believer. I'm going to communicate that to you. But if you want it to change your life, you have to take it. You have to receive it. You have to allow it to come into your heart. And the way we do that is by being still, And that's so hard for us in the Western culture because we think if we're stationary and we're not moving, that we're doing something wrong. If we settle ourselves, that God can't use us and we're not doing this and we're not doing that or just the busyness of work. But I'll tell you this, when we are stationary, when we are planted in the Lord, when we are still as a church and as an individual, there is lots of things happening in us. There are, the, the seed of the truth is taking root in a way that as the Father then leads us, we're powerful. We become powerful and dangerous for the kingdom of God. And so be still and know that God is God. Learn who God is. The way that he does that is through the power of the Spirit as he engages our hearts with the word, okay? Okay, so knowing, knowing, knowing. What does it mean to know someone or to know something about a subject? In the Western culture, it's facts, right? And so it's like, Yesterday I went fishing with these guys that did not know anything about fishing, and they kind of thought they did. First of all, we were on a pontoon boat, right? Which you don't see people fishing on the pontoon boat, but we did. And, uh, and through a series of events, you know, they, they're like, Antley, we are fishermen. We like to fish. Let's go fishing. You know, but I had to teach them how to tie a hook on. I had to teach them how to bait their hook, and one of them was afraid of the shrimp. I had to teach them how to cast. I had to teach them how to reel it in. And so they, they knew about fishing, right, before we went, but then they all caught fish. And so then they were fishermen. Before that, they were casting. They were castermen, okay? 
Because fishermen, what do they do? They catch fish, right? And so they, they had a knowing, but it wasn't until they experienced catching a fish that they truly knew what it was to be a fisherman. As we work through Ephesians, we're going to be spending time on this topic. What does it mean to know God? And I'm going to, I'm going to crush, dominate, hit this point hard today in 15 to 23. It's one of the most famous prayers of Paul. And he, he nails this question about who do you think you are? And he tells us. And so let's look at that. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, so this is to believers, um, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we pray that you would come, enlighten our hearts to receive the truth of your word. Amen. So what is Paul praying for? A lot of people, when they read this scripture, they say, well, Paul's praying for us to have power. Paul's praying for us to have riches. Paul's praying for us to understand what our calling is, that we are adopted, that we're sons and daughters. And, and that's, that's in there, but that's not, that would be wrong. That is not what Paul is praying for in this prayer. Because if he was, remember we talked about this book, how it's, it was written to make God big and God beautiful. If we're praying, God, give me this, God, give me this, God, give me this. What's that about? That's about us. That's about us. But Paul's not saying that. He wants to direct our eyes to God, right? And so let's read this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? And the knowledge of him, that we would know him. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. Paul is praying for knowledge, He's praying that our knowledge would grow, that our understanding would grow about who we really are and what has been given to us. He says, I keep asking the God of the Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope you have. You may know the riches you have And you may know the great power you have. And then Paul prays this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, which is the word cardia, right? Where we get cardiac, and uh, may be enlightened. This is what this this really means, okay? This is the proper translation of this. I pray that your heart would be sensitive to the light of God, to the light of what God has done for you. 
Not is going to do, not will do, but it's of what God has done for you. What has been accomplished, right? We sang that. Jesus has accomplished everything. He has accomplished and covered our sin. He is, his sacrifice is, is one and done. It's over. It's what he has done for us that creates who we really are, that shows us who we are, that we're forgiven, that we've been set free. This is who we really are. And Paul wants us to know that so that we will live in a way that is consistent with that. And we, and, and we can only properly answer the question, who do we think we are? Well, we are who God has created us to be, who he has defined us to be by the work of Jesus Christ and the things that he has given us, the things that we are. He prays that you will know him and that you would know what is already yours. That's who we are, and that's what Paul's getting at. You know, this week I got a text from somebody, um, this awesome guy, and uh, he said this. This was the quote from him. He said, we, RCC, will not receive all the blessings he, God, has for us without knowledge, knowledge of his great love. That was a text. He didn't know what I was preaching on, but that is what this is about. If we don't have a knowledge, a knowing of God's great love, if really know it, and I'm going to talk about what knowing means, really know it, then we, we just can't receive all the blessings because we won't behave and live and act like they are ours, that we have them. Does that make sense? Okay, and so I'm going to give you an analogy here. I don't have a lot of time. So say someone calls you a king or a queen, right? You're called a king or queen, and this is you, all right? And, and how would you live if you knew that you had all the riches in the world? You'd be like, I got bling everywhere. Look at me, the king. I got all, you, would, you would know as the king, I have all power, right? I can do whatever I want. I have authority to rule my kingdom the way I've been created to rule. I don't worry about riches because all the riches of my kingdom belong to me. I don't worry about my identity of who I, because I'm the king. I've been told who I am. I've been told how to live, right? And so, so that's what would happen. That's how we would live. We would not have worry, anxiety, and those things that, that the commoners might have in the, in the kingdom, right? Now, now imagine that someone told you, hey, you're a king. And, and you believe that your crown kind of looked like this, right? <laughs> I am a foolish looking. I know you say I'm king. But I don't believe I'm king. I don't believe that I'm a king. I don't believe that I have a crown. Now, there's a lot of reasons we, not, we might not believe this. We might not believe it because we don't think we're worthy. We might not believe it because we don't think that, you know, we feel like we have to earn that. We might not believe it because we have a lot of sin and brokenness in our life. Or we might, we might not want to be a king. We might just want to live lazy, right? And, and, and so there's a lot of reasons why we struggle to believe we're a king, and when we struggle to believe we are who God says we are, a king created to rule with, and, and dominate and, and reign and bring his kingdom to the kingdoms that he's given us with authority and power, what happens in our life? It shuts us down. We have the same anxiety that everyone else has. We have the same worry that everyone else has. We have the same fear that everyone else has. And we don't reflect the life of a king. And Paul is wanting us to know you have all these things already. It's why Paul doesn't pray for them. He doesn't, he's not praying to ask God the Father for these things because it would be redundant because we have these things. 
And that's one of the reasons we know that that's what Paul's praying for. So I'm going to explain what no means. Because I think a lot of us are sitting there going, well, I know these things about God. I know that he's called me. I know that he's engaged me. I know that I know these things, that I have the riches, that I have heaven coming, and I know that, um, that I have power. Okay, so we know these things. But Paul is praying for us, and he's praying to the Christians, remember? So he's praying for Christians. And so what is Paul really getting at? You know, in different cultures, words mean different things. And I learned this when I, when I went to England just before I planned the church. I started saying things, and people would laugh at me. And I didn't know why they were laughing at me. But I'd be like, I got these new pants. And in England, pants means underwear. And so they would kind of look at me like, what? And then, you know, back in the day, it was about 12 years ago. And, um, and, and um, I, I, you know, we have fanny packs. You know, people were wearing fanny packs back then. And I'll just tell you, fanny is the word for the birthing canal, okay? And so when I would talk about a fanny pack, I was, it was just not good. People would laugh, giggle, point, and it was just awkward, okay? And then they have, their tennis shoes are called trainers. And that makes no sense. A trainer is a tennis shoe. And so, again, we, we would do these things. Now, and then shag means sex over there. For us, it means dance or kind of carpet, okay? And, you know, and I quote Austin Powers. It just goes sideways real quick. Um, And so, but I want to tell you a story of how it reverse worked, okay? Jemima, who is English, came over here and is enrolled in college at Jacksonville University. And the other day, the other day, she had just come to class. She was new, and um, she had a paper. She made a mistake on it, and she needed to erase the mistake. Now, if you're in America, what would you say? I need an eraser. Can I borrow an eraser, right? Well, in England, the word for eraser is rubber, and so Jemima proceeded to go to all these guys and say, do you have a rubber? I need a rubber. Do you have a rubber? I need a rubber. And, and she was just going around, and she didn't, she didn't know it until I was doing this sermon and asking her for words. She said, oh, my word. I was asking all these boys for rubbers. I didn't know that that was the name for a condom in her English voice. And so, again, is that awesome? Little Jemima, all those guys uh, just perk up like, "Woo!" What's going on here? This English girl, what, what? And so, uh, but words in different cultures mean different things. And, and the same is true when it comes to this word knowledge, okay? In the Bible, the word knowledge means something very different. It is a much richer meaning when it comes to that. It says this in Genesis. And Adam knew Eve, and they bore a son. And Cain knew his wife, and she bore him a son. And Ishmael went into her and knew her, and she bore a son. So I know lots of people, but I'm not having babies with them, right? So what is Paul saying? What does this mean? In our culture, if you say you know someone, it's like they could be an acquaintance, right? They could be a friend. They could be someone that you have seen, like a a baseball star. You say, oh, yeah, I know him. He's, you know, he bats third for the Cincinnati Reds. And you might know some facts about him. And that, in our culture, to know someone or to know something is factual. I know that whoever's phone is ringing is embarrassed right now and trying to hide it, okay? Because they thought they turned the ringer off, but they didn't. I know, I know that because I just heard the phone ring. And so in our culture, knowing something is intellectual, okay? It's very fact Base, But the Hebrew word for knowledge is yada. And yada in the Hebrew means not only knowing in an intellectual way, but knowing in a personal encounter, knowing in an experiential way. 
Okay, and so the Bible uses no for sex, the word sex, okay? And so what, what, what Paul's trying to bring together here, and this is the hardest point of the sermon, but it's the most important, okay? Is Paul's trying to say that, that when you know someone, you know about them, you know depth in them, you know who they are, but you also, there's an experience of who they are that is also an encounter with them. You know, it's more than a knowledge. It's, it's an emotional encounter with him where this word yada, two very different things. But in the Hebrew, it comes together where these two words will be made one in marriage. These two will be made one through the act of sex. So this is where this word comes from and the richness and the meaning of this, right? And so Paul's saying, I want you to know the Father intimately, personally, intellectually in a way that is so deep and so powerful that it transforms the way that you live. I want you to become one with him. Now, I want to do an illustration. Now, I would say, I know Fernando. I know that he likes to ride motorcycles because when he leaves for Brazil, I come and steal his. Right? I know that, that he has a heart for missions. He's been down the Amazon. I know that he loves his children because I spent some time with Fernando. I know he loves the Lord. So I know Fernando, right? I know him. And somewhat on an experiential level because we've had meals together, right? And I might say, well, I know Mindy. She loves to worship. She has come here from Charlotte. She is amazing. She's a Misty. And I know her. I don't know her that well, though. But I know her, right? She's married to Zach. They just had a baby. She has a pontoon boat that's awesome. And her husband doesn't know how to fish. Okay, so I know these things. I know these things about her. But there's not like an intimacy like she has with Zach, right? Okay. Now, man, I know Craig Otterberg's leaving, which makes me angry. I know John. I know a lot about John. He likes Florida State, which means that he kind of worships the devil. And so, and he got crushed dominated 63 to 20 yesterday, which I know was exciting, exciting for me. But I know John. I know what is some of his history. I know that he loves his family. I love that his daughter dances. I saw that today. So I know these things about John, right? And so I know him. I know these things about him. And there's some intimacy with these people, right? But there is no one no one that I know or will ever know like I know my wife. Because I've known her for 25 years. I know her heart. I see the beauty. I see the depth. I see the selflessness. I see the caring, her patience. And I know her. I know her in a way that I will never know anyone else. Not just in a knowing, knowledge way, but in a very intimate experiential way. You see the difference? The Ephesians knew God. They knew God in an intellectual way. And Paul's saying, there is so much more. There's so much more. The Father's desire is that you would know him like a husband knows a wife. That you would become one with him in a way that is so unbelievable, so intimate, that it will cause you to live as a son of God. It will answer the question of who do you think you are. When we know God this way, imagine we know that we are his child. He has called us. 
So, so the, anything that would happen with us in the world would not define us any longer. We'd be free of that. If we really knew and believed that we had this intimacy with him and that all the riches, all the beauty of God has been given to us and that we will fully receive in heaven, the riches of this world would not control us. We would not have fear and we would not be anxious. If we really knew the power we had, we would move in confidence to bring healing and transformation But we struggle to believe this. There's a Satanist who was in a a cult, right? And uh, she was doing an interview. She became a Christian. She was doing this interview. And she said, every time a Christian would walk into the space where I was, I would feel their authority and their power. But I didn't, it didn't ever bother me. I was never afraid. Because they never knew how powerful they were. They never knew the authority they had. Because if they did, there'd be no way that I would have any chance. Because the power and the authority that God has given them, when it is fully realized, is overwhelming to the kingdom of darkness. What if we walk that way? What if we began to believe and connect and experience intimacy like this? We would build the kingdom of God and bring the kingdom of God everywhere we went. That is what the world needs. The world needs us to walk in power. The world needs us to live like, I don't worry about riches. I don't worry about my finances. I have a Father in heaven who provides for me. Right? I don't, I don't, I don't worry about what the world thinks of me. I'm going to take risks. I'm going to go for it because my Father has defined who I am. I know that. I believe that because we are intimate. I know him in a way that defines who I am. And we are intimate. It's connecting the head to the heart, right? And so we hear these testimonies last week. Richard coming up. Basically, he, someone was raised from the dead. We didn't say that last week. God dies in the hospital room. Here's the father speaking to him. Do you trust me, Richard? Richard prays. Homeboy comes back to life. Go watch it. It happened. It's real, right? Dad, my greatest fear, David said, my greatest fear is that my dad would die. That fear happened and the Lord overwhelmed me with his peace. He, what he knew about God, his fear was overwhelmed with peace because he experienced the Father's love. He experienced an intimacy that led him to life. We sent this team to Charlotte, 11 people, right, from our little church to go to this sister church, and they were telling me stories of craziness. I mean craziness. Physical healing, emotional healing, words, powerful encounters with God. There were a ton of evangelical, you know, a large congregation. Our group is dancing in the aisles. Our group is worshiping like they're not so crazy. And they are bringing the kingdom. Now, why and how could they do that? Because they believed and knew who they were in Christ. That they are a force to be reckoned with. And that they have been given giftings and authority and power to bring the rule and reign of God wherever they go. And it was amazing, truly amazing, connecting the head to the heart. And how do we do this? How do we do this? Be still. Be still and know that I am God. It's the only way it happens, folks. To be still, to sit in his presence, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and say, Paul's prayer, Father, that's what I want. 
I want to know you. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and make me one with the Father? Reveal his love for me. And this is the journey of every Christian. Some of us are in different places, but this is our journey. This is what determines who we think we are. Let's stand.